Hey everyone and welcome. It's our end of season review for Formula One. It's hit the apex. It's taken us a bit of while, a bit of a while to to get here, but you know we've finally got ourselves organised and we're here to talk about the season that was 2018. Just on the Formula One, um, in the Formula One world, as always, I'm Jawad, joined by Baden, and um, it's been a few weeks. Uh, it feels like it's been an age since Abu Dhabi finished and time to just reflect on the year that's been 2018 and I know it probably didn't live up to the hype that we expected or anticipated as far as the championship is concerned it ultimately was a carbon copy of 2017 if you want to say so but you know we have a five-time world champion at the end of it we've had some great battles in the midfield we've had some fierce competition between Red Bull, Ferrari, and just, yeah, it's been one of those seasons where there's been plenty to dis- plenty to discuss all year, but ultimately, you know, when it came to the championship, it sort of just uh, petered away at the end. Hi, everyone, for the final time, at least on the, the motorsport front for 2018, and um, can you just remind me who actually won the championship? It feels like it was about six months ago at this stage <laughs> yeah well it was lewis hamilton of course who um no surprise ended up winning it for mercedes mercedes five-time constructors championship uh, winners as well but yeah as far as when i say it was a carbon copy of 2017 it it ultimately was because we had the early season momentum with ferrari i mean it even went as far as sebastian vettel this year winning the first two races back to back and then sort of when we get to the European stage of the season things sort of um, fell into the favour of Mercedes and then once we got to that mid-season break the momentum was very much with Mercedes and Hamilton and then despite um, Seb winning in Belgium coming out of the break um, Belgium onwards it was all Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes. What is fascinating I was pondering it the other day just when I had a brief moment of remembering the season actually did transpire, that when you consider Vettel's first two victories, it was three to the German and 11 to Hamilton from round or round four when Hamilton registered his first victory. And that's quite damning as far as a head-to-head title picture goes. And it shows you quite amazingly how lopsided it was in that regard, that it was um, hyped up to be such a a jewel and then indeed as you say with Vettel's victory at Belgium that was his final victory of the season those final eight races he didn't bring up another one and it was only Kimi Raikkonen's very popular breakthrough at Austin which gave the the prancing horse something to celebrate really and uh, 2017 again almost a carbon copy the way that it was all Hamilton in the back half. And you've got to say too that um, the triumph this year that they've had, it's probably been their most difficult season yet with the competition from Ferrari because Ferrari hit the ground running with the best car, but then mid-season onwards, um, they went down the wrong development path and we heard the comments during the latter part of the season, Sebastian Vettel saying that they basically had to peel off, you know, three months worth of updates to go back to where the car was sort of around Silverstone time where they were quite dominant and um, that's basically what lost them the championship. So it's also been a fascinating season as far as um, in-season developments go because you had Mercedes who again rocked up... (coughs) (coughs) Sorry again rocked up with a bit of a, a diva car, but they've worked their way back to the front, and Ferrari, they sort of developed themselves into a hole. What's surprising with Ferrari, considering where they found themselves around that time, probably peaking for the British Grand Prix, and they should have converted again at Germany. That was the point of no return, and they took that misstep around the mid-season break, and, and we thought, really, when... Vettel did break through at Belgium, they finally nailed it, but for whatever reason, they just slipped backwards from there, and it took them, not for the first time, far too long to realise the error of their ways, and by the time they acknowledged it with three or four races to go, Hamilton had essentially secured that title. Yeah, exactly, and you know, it was Singapore, probably that real moment, again, the defining moment of the season, where... Um, we expected Mercedes to be weak, but instead they were the strongest team that weekend. They came out, they claimed pole position, then Lewis romped away with the victory as well at a venue that over the last few years they've struggled. So again, that was probably the turning point of the season. And from there, really, Sebastian, we didn't really see much form from him um, himself. 
a season riddled with mistakes. You know, we talk about them having the best car as well. There could have been more victories perhaps in the early, in the first half of the season instead of the five that he did score. But, you know, we look at Germany as probably being that flashpoint, that culmination of all those mistakes that he's made throughout the season. And, um, yeah, leading the race, his home race, quite a dominant lead and finds himself at the wall at the stadium section. So, you know, whether that perhaps... Um, also damaged his confidence going into the next part of the season as well. Um, not too sure, but yeah, it was really one of those defining images that you can see Sebastian slamming the wheel on his car in the wall, and you could have probably at that point written his season off at that at that point. At the least, Vettel knows what it takes now to sustain a title bid for the balance of a season, and Lewis Hamilton, all credit to him, is lifted his game to many new levels, probably since Nico Rosberg pinched the 2016 championship. It's really brought the best out in the Britain, and for all of his detractors, he just seems to be able to find these performances that no one believes is really possible, and and Ferrari and Vettel just seem to wilt each time, and and Vettel at least admitted post-Abu Dhabi that he, he knew there were real errors there, and you can only hope that he just dedicates himself to perfection essentially in this off-season because Lewis Hamilton really we've mentioned probably after he secured that fifth title that um, he's just at a stage where he's at the peak of his powers and there's no reason why he'll be um, pulling off the the chain anytime soon I think as far as um, giving it everything I think that he's really going to take it to yet another level in 2019. Well he surpassed Michael Schumacher's pole record he's the all-time pole uh, record holder now he's about what 20 wins away or 19 wins away from uh, Schumacher's all-time wins record and now within two world championships of Michael Schumacher as well now so those records which we once thought would not be broken for a long time, not even two decades later where we could potentially, or by the end of this decade, sorry, potentially have um, a couple of those records broken too. So, yeah, Lewis has just not really done much wrong this year and that's the thing, you know, we talk about Sebastian Vettel and how dominant he was in the Red Bull for those four years and how he could string together entire an entire season. What's happened since he's gone over to Ferrari, you know? It just seems... He can do it for half a season, then the second half doesn't really work. And, you know, moments like Monza, where he came together with Hamilton, and then in Suzuka as well, where he um, got spun round or he spun himself round with Verstappen as well. Uh, it's just mistakes that are not very characteristic of a four-time world champion. And, you know, Hamilton used to make those mistakes ages ago, but, you know, we don't see that sort of thing from Hamilton, which makes him probably the deserved winner of this championship. It'd be a remiss also not to factor in the, the untimely passing of Sergio Marchione, which was around the time when he did have that um, really health issue, which probably was kept fairly anonymous until we got word that he had been in, in hospital treated for an illness and ultimately succumbing. Ferrari was looking rampant, and from that point, it really coincided around that weekend at Hockenheim when they could have gone in for the kill, and I think that combination really just um, set them up never to, to have any kind of comeback. Yeah, and I guess... Team-wise, I guess the morale would have been really low. It was before the Hungary weekend, actually, that the news came out. And you would have thought that it might have, you know, by the off chance, galvanised them to perhaps um, do it for their fearsome leader or whatever um, and get the victory in Marchione's name, as it did for Ferrari, I guess, when the great Enzo passed and they had that famous victory in at Monza in 88, but you know, it didn't really turn out that way. And I had that prediction Hungary will be a weekend where, you know, Ferrari will come out and make that emphatic statement. They didn't, they seemed a bit rudderless. And again, that whole contention about whether the leadership within that team, you know, struggles between Arriva Benny and the technical director, Matteo Bonotto and all that. But 
just they don't need these distractions going into next year if they continue letting themselves be distracted then they're not going to win and it just reminds me of um a quote that a river benny made at one point in the season saying the ferrari need to lose the fear of winning and you know use the example of mercedes of course and how they're just so used to winning that you know it's not a um, foreign thing to them. Whereas for Ferrari, who once upon a time, they were the most dominant team in the sport, now it seems have forgotten how to, to win. And it would seem they need to borrow a line from the philosophy of, of the uh, very subliminal new partner they have with Philip Morris and a particular cigarette line, wink, wink, that uh, Mission Winnow and their their motto, which entails separating the wheat from the chaff, and that's exactly what Ferrari needs to do if they're going to really not clutch at straws next year. Everyone just has to be dedicated to the task at hand, none of this ambivalence and opposing ideologies in all of these crucial departments, and until they sort it out, that's where Mercedes are just so united. Yeah, united on every front, and, you know, when they had that change in technical staff with um, Paddy Lowe leaving and... James Allison coming in, it didn't really hamper them at all. It, if anything, it strengthened them. And now, I guess 2018 was the first year that we would have had the proper James Allison design car. And um, yeah, no, no problems whatsoever. So you know, efficiency-wise, they managed to make a season without having power unit penalties to contend with. Well, neither did Ferrari either. But you know, they've not really had reliability problems, whereas Ferrari would still see a little bit of problems creeping in here and there. So Mercedes, yeah, you know, we've said it previously as well that they could really have a a strong run to the end of this current. Um, regulate era of regulations till 2021 and it's enough time for Hamilton to seal another two titles if he can um and go on and equal Schumacher's records or surpass them so yeah it's the ball is in the court of the opposition now as to whether they can actually stop the Mercedes juggernaut stop Lewis Hamilton because we know within the Mercedes camp as well Valtteri Bottas marginalized this season and we'll talk about that in a second so it really is Hamilton and Mercedes which are the juggernaut which need to be stopped I do recall on the eve of the Australian Grand Prix writing an article saying that this is the best and perhaps final opportunity for someone else to make that breakthrough and you can see that Mercedes being rejuvenated and ultimately emerging even more enhanced I think this is going to give them the the strength just to continue through the next two seasons and who knows beyond that but now as you've mentioned many times across that second you wouldn't call it drastic overhaul but when they introduce some of those changes for 2017 and we get again for 2019 if Mercedes continues on and into a third set within this hybrid era they have uh, absolutely validated that all-time great status exactly and the numbers just keep talking in their favor so yeah for lewis hamilton an incredible year it's hard to see him being stopped um unless people really step up their games because he's not going to make any mistakes and you know you said it before rosberg leaving the team was pretty decisive in how hamilton um sort of rebirthed himself as far as you know being the calm character that he is now and just the the composure that he has is no more into team tension as well and Bottas is working in his favor so yeah you know when when you've got that harmony on your side it's a completely different story and for Vettel next year it's really um, and before we round out this episode we'll talk about looking ahead to 2019 and Vettel could have a very difficult year next year if um his new teammate is going to cause some trouble which we do hope for his sake he does so but anyway moving it on and the raging bulls and the number twos so again you know we had that championship battle to one side then you've got that next cluster of um, teams and drivers the red bull cars they had a contrasting um, season to one another Max Verstappen a standout year you could call it despite having a little bit of a slow start and then then there's Daniel Ricciardo and the number that stands out more than his two wins this year was the eight DNFs he had and that horrid run in the latter part of the season where it was just yeah he couldn't catch a, a break and it just contrasted to how 
late in the season, Max Verstappen. He just had the speed in his favour. He was mixing it in with the Ferraris and the Mercedes. And, you know, um, come the end of the year, it was like, well, you know, fighting for pole position, it could be three three cars in there. Fighting for the win, there could be three cars too. Uh, just watching some highlights of Verstappen and Hamilton in Austin fighting wheel to wheel. That was pretty intense. And then in Mexico as well. So, yeah, but... Even still, it was great for Dan to win the Monaco Grand Prix finally. Uh, one in China with that move on Valtteri Bottas, but just it's just been a horrible year, you can say, with those eight DNFs. Hard to believe when you reach that finale that you can account for the two victories. It just seemed like such a complete travesty that the way that, that season petered out for him, really from that point from Monaco, there was no optimism and and when he had the few and far between opportunity there to actually complete a race weekend without failures and we even saw some of his best drives came after he incurred grid penalties and you just wonder what he was capable of if that hadn't have been the case but just a really sour note across the board to conclude his tenure at Red Bull and and the way that clearly didn't seem to perturb anyone higher up such as Helmut Marco they were pretty chummy about the whole situation because their golden boy in Verstappen was um, getting the job done when he wasn't the one being hindered and at the same time he's obviously growing in confidence at a rapid rate and he turned his act around considerably from that first third of the season when he found trouble at every corner but it still is hard to escape the fact that Ricardo really was marginalized in many departments really and um he can't forget that victory at Monaco for what it was in itself. It was a, a great drive. His own back to the wall on that occasion, he had that engine issue which threatened to derail his progress at any moment. And it's just a shame it's been lost to the overarching theme of his season. Well, seeing as apart from those two wins, he didn't actually have any supplementary podiums to go with it, I guess um, says a lot too, unfortunately. But yeah, those grid penalties which they had to suffer from in their final year with Renault as well and he had some solid drives to finish fourth but Verstappen I guess in the low light probably for Red Bull all year was Baku you know where both drivers ended up crashing into each other and it was a pretty big moment and all that and um, you know you could tell that tension sort of sparked and then yeah as you say one got marginalized and the other's the golden child but Verstappen, I guess he's just going to be creating headlines throughout his career. You reckon because you you think because you know after Mexico the pole position that Ricardo took apparently he was not very pleased with the way Ricardo was celebrating and then obviously Brazil is still fresh in the mind as well with what happened there with Esteban Ocon. So yeah, Verstappen won to you know we talk about how he's racing a lot more mature now than he did last year or even the first third of the season, but still he's going to be causing a few uh, headlines, a bit of trouble, punch on. <laughs> you think if anyone does make that breakthrough, which is so rare outside of the, the big three, at least in this hybrid era, that Ricardo's someone capable of giving Renault its first podium since returning in 2016 and who knows what more they're capable of but he knows the deal and it's going to be 12 to 24 months before he's capable of regular victories and even greater pursuits yeah exactly for for the future but for Red Bull yeah this year I guess third again that's all you could have expected and the war of words between them and Renault too you're just it's kind of I'm kind of glad that that relationship's finally over because we don't have to hear any more whinging next year about it from from both parties and Verstappen of course standing by what he was saying you know his complaints as well about Renault in the latter part of the season so um going over to the number twos and I guess yeah it's um one sort of outshone the other and Valtteri Bottas we've talked about it all year it was kind of I feel a little bit of disbelief over the fact that he ended the season without a win given the fact that Mercedes won the Constructors Championship and won it quite convincingly too we know that Bottas had so many opportunities throughout the season China of course Bahrain Baku probably the cruelest one Russia again obviously with the um uh, team orders coming into play and then yeah not really getting that um, not really getting the favour repaid by Mercedes at the end of the season with Lewis taking the last two victories after winning the championship in Mexico so 
yeah, you know, you got to say probably since the whole wingman thing in Hungary, the relegation, um, his confidence definitely took a big hit and all after that for the rest of the season, we saw Bottas that just didn't seem like the Bottas we saw last year and I guess when he was getting all those podiums at Williams. Definitely was a season of two halves for the Finn and he wasn't without his opportunities but more often than not he was cast aside for Hamilton as we've seen so many times with Ferrari and Kimi Raikkonen and just really um, when you you think about what he did go through it's not a surprise at all that after the events of Azerbaijan even Germany even Italy all combined with the the wingman notion that um, he just broke eventually and that that will which when you think you're racing for victories and suddenly you're seen as just someone making up the numbers it's pretty hard to blame him for ending the season on such a whimper exactly and just the negative demeanor too which is it just really made you feel for the guy because you're like, well, you, you're in the best car on the grid and not being able to win a race. Um, what's it going to be like next season? Because next season definitely will be a, a make or break year. And you can already tell that Mercedes have sort of got the uh, the earmark on Esteban Ocon jumping in in 2020, which is un- really unfortunate for Bottas because he hasn't really put a foot wrong. Remember, he was drafted in sort of at the 11th hour with, Nico Rosberg announcing his retirement he fit into the team like a glove and we knew that he would be if he was given a championship winning car that he would be able to star and he took those victories last year of course pole positions and whatnot but yeah this year it's just been a a real contrast to what it was in 2017 so we really hope 2018 I was 2019 sorry is going to be a different story for Bottas and you know you talk about him being marginalized a driver that's long been in that position at Ferrari, Kimi Raikkonen, I'd have to say he's probably been the better Ferrari driver all year, the more consistent driver. And then that win in Austin was probably the most popular moment or the most celebrated moment by all fans throughout 2018. I think it was voted one of the best races of the year as well on the F1 website. And that just shows you the the power of popularity this man has. Like he's got an Instagram account finally, which has been the greatest gift of all, I think, this season, seeing Kimi outside of um, F1 and the fact that he is the Kimi that we know in F1 outside of F1 too. And yeah, just the more consistent driver. He hasn't made the mistakes that Sebastian Vettel has. He's just been put in those awkward situations by Ferrari's strategy. And you thought if he was given the chance to be the guy to go after the title, would he make those same mistakes that Seb would or not? There's no doubting that he does lack the the step that he had in his heyday of the the mid-2000s McLaren tenure in his probably first season at Ferrari and you saw so many times where he would infamously bottle it on his final run in qualifying when he might have been provisionally P1 but for the balance of that season those results were so consistent and certainly the the podium front um, until that last race he was superior to Vettel with 13 and and just Compared to the rest of his his second tenure at Ferrari, those four seasons, it was an improvement by leaps and bounds. And you can just see that um, he generally seemed to be enjoying himself a lot more coming into himself. And that victory opened him up a lot, coupled with the social media presence. And then even the news that he would be um, taking a bit of a step back with Sauber and culminating in his little display theatricality at the FIA gala that he really seems for the probably the first time in a long time to be truly enjoying himself once again. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you want to see with Ferrari, with Kimi Raikkonen. You know, everyone questions his motivation, whether he really cares about racing or is he just there to f- for the paycheck and everything. And this year has been that year that... And it's really unfortunate too that after all these years at Ferrari in that second tenure that this is the year that we've seen Kimi Raikkonen come back to form. So, you know, Ferrari's loss, I guess, is Sauber's gain for next year. But, yeah, he's really been the standout driver, I think, um, outside of that championship battle. And, you know, just the question remains to be asked as to whether if he was in the championship hunt, would he, how would he fare and everything? But, you know, that's all in hindsight now and we can only just celebrate the year that he has had and yeah as you said the FIA gala he ended up 
finishing third in the championship, of course, which I'm sure, you know, he would have bemoaned in Abu Dhabi, but then looked like he had a, a good time at the gala itself. So um, many good photos and videos to, to be seen out of that if you haven't already. So yeah, no, Kimi for me, I think was probably the better Ferrari driver all year. And, you know, next year, it's just going to be a different story with Seb and the pressure that he comes under from Charles Leclerc. But um, moving it on and outside I guess the top three teams always we had the best of the rest and you might as well just give these guys a trophy for whoever wins the B-class championship as they do in MotoGP with the independent um, constructors and the independent riders championship because um, yeah you had a really great battle all year between Renault and Haas you could say Renault continued their march up the grid they finished fourth in the constructors and it wasn't probably the most memorable season for Renault or the most um, cleanest season because they had a fairly scrappy year but still managed to finish fourth and I think they were sort of saved by the fact that Haas had you know their problems early on in the season you think about the points that they lost in Australia for example I mean fourth and a guaranteed fourth and fifth place finish if it wasn't for those pit stop dramas the points that they lost there then Roman Grosjean um his errors through the first part of the season so Haas was definitely the most improved out midfield outfit and they could have beaten Renault if they didn't have those problems but for Renault as a manufacturer this is going to be quite positive You'd think it's a natural <coughs> progression for Renault and they attract someone of Ricardo's calibre just to give them that extra impetus. Um, I think that they can really expect those podiums to come at some point next year when there's an opportunity on the line and you think they're fairly anonymous as it is. They, they seem to deliver those results without really being anything too flashy. And, and for Haas, on the other hand, it's probably more prolific considering what they had been through and more particularly Roman Grosjean in that first third of the season. And you could see on its uh, day, the Haas package was really quite capable and you'd think also they're not far away from getting a, a podium shot in the next 12 months, the way they're going. And if Grosjean can have a full campaign and Kevin Magnussen, he's a very fiery young one. He seems to not mess around when when there's a position on the line he won't give any quarter so I think they're still the most um, probably underrated combination on the grid you could make a case for oh yeah they've both been on the podium before for their previous team so you they're very much capable and um, you know Magnuson probably that he's established that reputation as you know that um, regular midfield driver like a Sergio Perez and you know you look at those guys and you're like you know what if they got a shot with a big team again you know obviously both having had those opportunities for McLaren previously but it didn't really work out so it's like oh you know if they got that opportunity again how would they go but you know it's made for good racing and Magnussen a hard racer he doesn't really give any quarter as he said and you know next year it's going to be quite interesting if you've got the likes of him and the Renault guys fighting for the podium let's throw in the Saubers too if they they're in contention with Kimi Raikkonen it's going to make for an interesting midfield battle and you know one team you'd like to see the join them next year will, will be Force India or Racing Point whatever they're going to be called Formula Stroll if you want it in, in 2019 so Force India of course their season pretty um, well documented they you know, had a great charge after having their points stripped away mid-season for the um, change of identity that they had, you know, um, they outscored McLaren points-wise in the second half of the season, but they only missed out by a couple of points in the end to, to overhaul that P6, and, you know, you forget, you talk about Ricardo's wins, how they're almost an afterthought. How about, you know, Sergio Perez on the podium in Baku as well? I'm sure that's not one that everyone remembers straight away, but, you know, that was a, a solid result for them. But, again, it was just those points reset in the middle part of the season that, you know, masked where they would have really finished. But, yeah, now that they're going to get some dollars into that team, you really want to see where they're going to be in the next couple of years. Well, it's just good for them to have the clarity, which has probably been hanging over them for two or three years, all of those extradition threats and uh, both partners at the top there with their ongoing legal issues, and now they're both completely removed from the situation with a competent 
team of leaders headed by Otmar Zafnauer, who's very passionate about um, his role in bringing them forward and, and as well with that capital injection from Lawrence Stroll, you'd think in the next year or two that um, with absolutely all attention on track rather than it just being a complete publicity stunt, they're, they're capable of really making that jump where it's it's interesting when you do consider back to where they started out from, at least in that Force India lineage making up the numbers um they've really come a long way and now under whatever the new identity is i think that they could be someone who you never know 2021 like red bull did in 2009 could be capable of leaping into the big three at some point sooner than later yeah and it would be great just from an independent constructors point of view for them to do that but driver wise um Perez again a great year as he's had since he's been at Force India Ocon a little bit disappointing it was up and down for him he had a few retirements a few mistakes I guess he really came into the headlines of Brazil with Max Verstappen and I guess just unfortunate to miss out on a seat for 2019 too but you know I think spending a year on the sidelines perhaps will be good with with Mercedes and then it's all all eyes on Mercedes 2020 with with Ocon in the seat but for McLaren I guess you know it was all about are we finally going to see what this team's been waiting for in the last few years was it Honda that was all at fault but you know if anything divorcing Honda and putting another power unit in that car just exposed those fundamental chassis issues that have been still plaguing that team I'm going to say since 2013 because since they made that call in 2013 to to go to a different development path i think that's still haunting him up until this day and you know we've seen the exodus of staff as well eric bullier has gone you know a few of the technical staff gone too um and tim goss and all that so it really is going to be big next year to see if they've all these changes that they've made this season are going to have an impact because you know, as I said, in the second half of the season, Force India outscored them probably double the points that they they scored in total. Fernando Alonso, not the way that he would have wanted to bow out of Formula 1. Poor Stoffel Van Dorn too, just didn't really get the opportunity to showcase himself now in Formula E um, already. So, you know, it's going to be big next year for McLaren, two new drivers, new staff, um, James Key obviously coming on board too. So... Yeah, it's just, you know, you right off 2018 as we've done with 2017, 16, 15. I think you could almost make a case for riding off 2019 with two completely new drivers there that just that synergy um, as far as uh, getting to learn the the operating system there and really where they're at as far as rebuilding. It's not going to be an overnight job, so they have to, just as we did in 2018, measure those expectations and anything more will be a bonus but it's all really on 2021 even four or five years down the track as Zach Brown infamously stated mid-year it's two to ten years he envisions for McLaren to reach its peak once again so we shouldn't be counting by the the clock anytime soon Uh, and it's a sad thing to say because you know along with Williams who've had a disastrous season as well um, this year only what do you call it, five championship points scored. There was only one point scored in the second half of the season as well, and that was courtesy of a disqualification to the Haas car of Grosjean at Monza. So, yeah, you know, those two famous names looking to to make amends over the next few years. But, um, you know, whilst those guys are suffering at the back, you've got Sauber, who were really exciting to see all year. Um, Charles Leclerc, Rookie of the Year, hands down, had the best season for Marcus Ericsson too, who's unfortunately off to IndyCar. So, again, you know, he showcased what his talents were just before he got got the boot so you know Leclerc obviously moving up to to Ferrari next year and yeah you know getting into Q3 and whatnot both drivers being really competitive when it comes to scoring points and they really provided for a lot of highlights this year did Sauber. And just as far as from where they were a couple of years ago and and you can see that getting um Frederick Vasseur in a really steady hand and Charles Leclerc who looks like being the the best generational talent to arrive since um well, at least alongside Verstappen since Lewis Hamilton's arrival over a decade ago and you can just see that his raw speed and that humility really um 
creates a nucleus for anyone wanting to move forward and and really that rate of development we've mentioned a few times from where they were at Australia making up the rear to being legitimately a probably fourth on merit by that Abu Dhabi weekend and there was a good chance until that botched strategy that we could have seen Leclerc in the hunt for a top five placing it's quite a um, stark upward swing you don't see that kind of uh, forward step too often particularly when you're coming from the very rear and you can only hope with Kimi Raikkonen and Antonio Giovinazzi at the wheel that they can continue this progression exactly and just um it almost I keep saying next year could be like that 2012 season that they had you know if they get some podiums in the bag too so really exciting to see all year Sauber and um Toro Rosso as well you can say um it was exciting to see because we wanted to see where Honda were after they split with McLaren. Obviously, Honda going to Red Bull next year and Toro Rosso were that um, sort of testing ground for them. And we, we saw the fruits already come through in Bahrain, for example, with the Pierre Gasly finishing fourth, you know, best result, I guess, um, equaling the best result that McLaren had with um, Honda as well. And um, that famous quote, to copy Fernando Alonso, now we can fight. So um, quite interesting that was. But um, yeah, it was a lean second half of the year though for Toro Rosso. Three point scoring finishes, Brendan Hartley getting in there once. And again, Hartley, one of those unfortunate cases. He got to make his full-time debut finally this year after going off and doing World Endurance Championship. But just really he started off his uh, season with, the, with Mark Time because we knew that he wasn't really on Red Bull's books long term. He was just there as a placeholder. But just again, you know, the way his season's panned out, sure, they've probably got a few useful development notes off him. But yeah, just the way his season went wasn't the greatest. I think at least he can now claim that he got to live his dream, albeit the way it came together was not conventional. But it seems to have become a hallmark of Toro Rosso. And again, whether you can raise it as being some existential debate for them and the purpose for existence as we're seeing history for, not for the first time repeating itself going back to the future with Danny Kofiad in 2019. You do wonder when they're going to take a stand and have a bit more autonomy and have its own vision for the future or whether Honda wants to ever acquire the assets and have its own entity anytime soon but as, as far as it goes for Hartley hope that um, his reputation doesn't take too much of a hit and he's not lost to motorsport when you recall what he did achieve in sports cars and you'd hope that, that with that talk of him landing a berth in Formula E with Porsche that would be quite a suitable place for him to rediscover his his edge yeah exactly and that's from next season um 2019-2020 season that's when Porsche come in as a manufacturer into Formula E so yeah you'd hope that he's not lost on single seaters entirely but yeah you know the the credentials that he has Le Mans winner two-time WEC champion as well um just the year that he's had in Formula One this year doesn't really give that um, record any justice and certainly the treatment from uh, Mr Helmut Marco doesn't either so yeah I mean solid year again for the midfield um, it's always just its own entity on the grid and next year I genuinely think we'll have more contenders for the podium like we'll see Racing Point or whatever they're going to be called next year Sauber potentially as well and then of course Haas and Renault could could be Smokies as well for getting a podium throughout the season so it'll be really exciting to see how they go and um, moving it on I guess and talking about some of the the politics and whatnot from this year and there's always things to talk about there I guess the biggest thing coming into 2018 was the halo debate and I guess that was put to rest immediately after the first practice session we probably didn't really talk about it as being an eyesore or anything it just it, it didn't really it, it just it's there now you know it it almost seems like it's been on the car for for years and it didn't really um do much to disturb the masses and I guess after what we saw in Belgium with that first corner incident with Fernando Alonso and Charles Leclerc, I guess that debate was put to rest about whether it can do its job and whatnot. And I think it was after the season ended, they actually re released some data and whatnot about it. And yeah, it really did come to come to the aid of Leclerc on that day. 
there's always going to be that polarizing opinion and this was pretty high at the list 12 months ago but it's already served its purpose and of course there'll be room for improvement so you'd hope in the next two years or, or whatever it might be the time frame for liberty they'll try and implement a better fix but for the time being it hasn't detracted from the racing and, and you can see that clearly um, from that ethical standpoint um, something had to be done and this has been a, a pretty good solution as far as it goes and in practice clearly something such as Belgium's already validated that theory. And given the fact that we're going to see it next year on the F3 cars as well which joined the the official championship roster with Formula 2 this year we had the halo there Formula E for the new season on their Gen 2 cars have adopted it as well and the um, Super 5000 series as it's going to be in Australia will have it too and the the W series so all the open wheel categories I guess are adopting it as part of the whole FIA's um, bigger picture so you'd think that they're going to develop that as time goes on and find a more you know practical solution but yeah it was you know I guess Abu Dhabi highlighted probably the impracticality of it with Nico Hulkenberg being flipped and um, being upside down couldn't really get out of the car with the hanging halo like there. a cow hanging like a cow as he said so but again you know that was just a one thing that they're going to learn from moving forward and you know moving forward to 2021 the regulations they were sort of outlined in Bahrain earlier this year but still yet to be cemented and I guess that's still one of those big talking points about what is the championship going to look like 2021 sure we've got the change coming next year with the front wings and the aerodynamics but 2021 you know we wanted new manufacturers it sounds like we're not going to be getting any because the regulation changes on the power unit front is not going to be significant enough to allow for new manufacturers to come so what is it going to be we want it to be a watershed moment for formula one liberty media want it to be the year that they get to claim the championship for for themselves you know with the way that they want it to be so you know what do we think about in this uh, in the meantime a lot of that's on account of the incumbent manufacturers wanting to maintain that status quo they're very comfortable with that pecking order and you can understand it from their viewpoint that they don't want to have their power sphere diminished anytime soon but as far as the the greater good of the sport in the long term it's extremely short-sighted so I do wonder how the implications will be five or ten years down the track if we get really stale as far as the the hybrids are concerned um, it's clearly an efficient formula and it, it has good appeal as far as embracing that technology but when you do look to appealing to the potential prospective manufacturers there's not a lot of wriggle room for them to bring in their own technologies and that's something where formula one as far as being adaptive it's selling itself quite short and has done for many generations gone by it's very static indeed and that's where you know you kind of start thinking about whether the all-electric um, series FE is um, going to be a threat to the championship anytime soon because it has drawn in manufacturers like, you know, Mercedes obviously in their HWA trim, Porsche coming in next year, BMW, Nissan, Jaguar. Um, I know a lot of it is to do with image and whatnot and just to show that they're, they're part of that whole movement. But, you know, whether manufacturers gen genuinely are going to favour going to all electric as far as uh, as supposed to hybrid is concerned, then, yeah, Formula One might suffer a little bit from it. So just having the, that presence there from those manufacturers is quite good because it just shows you that, yeah, that's what they hope to translate over to the road car technology as well. But um, as far as the racing is concerned, it should, it should still be great. But, yeah, just as far as expanding the grid is concerned and getting a bit more flavour on there is going to be the um, thing that people are going to want. At least there is some talk of any new entrants that the manufacturers would be obliged to share the full capacity of of their respective technologies rather than it being the watered down version where they've got to be compliant to the the works efforts themselves so there's got to be clearly some giving along with the taking when it comes uh, to uh 
just consolidating a long-term status quo of Mercedes, Ferrari, Renault, and, and good luck to anyone else who tries to get a foot in the door. Exactly. And, you know, Honda as well, can they benefit from a, a big change in the regulations too with their partnership with Red Bull? So, or can they develop themselves forward like, I guess, Ferrari had given that they were sort of in arrears in 2014. But Mercedes still very much the benchmark, you have to say. And what about next year? Will the interim changes, I guess you can call them, be enough to have a bit of a shake-up? You know, some say yes, some say no. Are we going to be stuck with Mercedes still at the front, you know, or not because everyone else hasn't done a good enough job, but because Mercedes are still the class leaders. I mean, even if we have all these big changes for 2021, Mercedes can, they still have the the power to, to stay on top. They've probably already started developing around a fundamental outline of what those regulations will be, knowing how soon they sunk their teeth into the, 2014 regs probably after 2011 that was the priority and you could very much see that as as far as how they came on song um and hamilton with that master stroke timing his move from mclaren he got that one on the ball and um, you could see that as far as next year goes at least uh being talked at least from ross braun that they'll acknowledge if there's not an improvement in the racing and the overtaking which is the the fundamental improvement that they are seeking um, aerodynamically and and you do wonder though how quickly they would be implemented because again it comes back to that idea that F1 just slaps on some half-baked fix and hopes for the best when it needs to be rationally integrated as far as being a long-term solution that that ticks all the boxes being cost-effective just efficient and Liberty, they've just got to be patient, and I think the fans as well, they also have to just realise that this is not some overnight fix that can be implemented. No, not at all, but it's just very discouraging when, you know, the current manufacturers are not very, what do you call it, inviting as far as having those changes of concern. You know, what you said before about the status quo wanting to be maintained for 2021 with the likes of Mercedes, Ferrari, and whatnot. So, you know, everyone's got to be open for a change and it's for the betterment of the racing. And, you know, it's then down to the, the teams to do a good job as far as how they um, approach and develop their cars for that change and everything. And we've seen it, you know, throughout the years where, you know, 2007, 2008, it was McLaren versus Ferrari for the championship. 2008, same story, but they didn't really think about 2009 much and that's where Red Bull and Braun uh, that year um, came to the fore and then Red Bull from there used that as a stepping stone for the following years and really dominated and then Mercedes 2011 had the eye on 2014 and you know the rest is history so yeah it's about forward planning and of course I think Mercedes are at the point where even if we did have a mass regulation change in 2021 that you know they could still have that eye there and still be successful it's a double-edged sword as much as it sends chills down the spine i think if hamilton does continue beyond 2020 and it's just another cakewalk for the silver arrows but at the same time you'd have to acknowledge just that sustained dominance across eight years however long it might be and then for that second set of a fundamental set of regulations and everything in between it and and all the might of Ferrari conquering them and um, it's clearly going to be one of those moments where regardless of what does happen if Mercedes does stick around then we'll just have to laud them for (laughs) being in it in the long run because a lot of manufacturers like you've seen at this point have had a a nibble and decided no thank you and if you want to stick around and put in the money and the hard yards then if you produce the results then well done yeah it's just whatever they perceive to be the quick way to to winning i guess they just want to get in there win quick and that's it and we saw you know obviously with the likes of toyota they tried that didn't work then on your bike and honda as well in the 2000s uh, didn't really have the success that they would have wanted either and now they're back and they're sort of slowly making their way to the front if you want to call it that so yeah it's going to be the thing to to really keep an eye on as we've said all year over the next few years as to what it's going to 
build up to towards 2021 and those changes that we're going to have on the regulation and the Concord front. But um, one thing we do know for the future is that, you know, more races is on the agenda for, for Liberty Media and they confirmed this year the first of their own Grand Prix, as it were, the Vietnam Grand Prix for 2020 confirmed. Um, very exciting to, to bring it. You know, we thought that Liberty would be all for having races in America, but they still identify Asia as a key market and to take it to somewhere like Vietnam is quite interesting and should should produce a good result and you know this is all while the Miami Grand Prix has been put on hold unfortunately with some um, local jurisdiction and whatnot getting in the way or the, or the blue tape the red blue tape. tape red tape that they've got to cut through so you know and that just shows you the patience that Liberty have it's not you know something that they want to do right away they've been working really hard with i guess the current um races on the calendar to make sure that their long-term futures are secure obviously we lost malaysia last year which was a a bit of a a sad one given that that had become a mainstay and i guess next year the big thing will be silverstone and whether that's going to be the last year that we see silverstone on the calendar you know liberty are open to the idea of having the british grand prix held elsewhere you know whether it's a london city grand prix or using one of the other permanent racetracks in the country but yeah you know the brdc really have dug themselves a grave with what they did last year and not really holding out um, as far as waiting for when liberty media took full control and um, decided to renegotiate terms I think Liberty as well would have to do itself a, a solid to show where it stands and hold out, and they can't let the BRDC call the shots as much as they might uh, rest on the laurels of being the historic home of Formula One, etc. You can see that they've got to take a stand, Liberty, and reinvent itself as well uh, at the same time as far as that 2021 and beyond in its own image and whether that means these historical circuits are sacrificed or whether they're renegotiated under Liberty's terms it's got to be something where both parties get something out of it and they've just got to be ruthless have no room for that sentiment which probably in years gone by we we did see with Bernie Eccleston's famous uh, well it'll be bye-bye if they don't come to the table he ended up getting his way more often than not and Liberty probably just has to adopt a, a similar mentality. Otherwise, they'll just be seen to be benevolent and giving in whenever the, the going gets a little bit tough just because someone asks nicely. Well, the thing is, and this is one positive I take away from this, is a few years ago, Monza, for example, was under real threat of um, collapse and disappearing. And now there's talk of 100 million euro redevelopment you know with some circuit modifications to come over the the next few years so it looks like monza is going to be a mainstay on and that is you know i guess one of those historic circuits germany we didn't have back-to-back german grand prix for so long and now next year we're going to be um, back at hockenheim as we were this year so you know that's another thing i guess uh, liberty in conjunction with mercedes-benz have really worked hard to make that happen so you know we can't say that oh liberty doesn't care about these races and whatnot like some people think it's just you know there's one party that's particularly stubborn and doesn't really want to um didn't really want to play ball and um I guess that's everyone loses out in that sense. And I'm sure if Silverstone does go and they end up with a London City Grand Prix, for example, that would be fantastic. I'm sure that will everyone will jump on that. And it's just one of those exciting races. And there's talk, you know, obviously in the Netherlands about having a, a street race as well, if they can, in, in Rotterdam or in Amsterdam or something like that. So, you know, street circuits are always exciting we see that with vietnam but you know it'd be nice to have those old circuits hang around too if they're not going to be uh as you say benevolent or whatever and brazil another one unfortunately could be on the chopping block next year too absolutely liberty's running a business at the end of the day and both parties have to realize it but if if they can all see that big picture and everyone gets what they want out of it and we have that compromise of those destination venues which Liberty will be pushing for, which is understandable. They have to have some purpose when when they made that investment in at the end of 2016. You just hope that 2021 and beyond, that the image, whether it's saturated with 25 events or whatever it might be, that it, it's just 
a good compromise where we're wanting to go racing each time and they're attractive in its own right each venue yeah, yeah exactly so whether we get to that 25 race threshold as has been talked about we'll just have to wait and see but again next year 21 races um it was good to see france back on the calendar this year even though the race itself might not have been that memorable it was still just great having one of those classic events back on so we're going to see a good mix over the next few years i think and um yeah you know as long as we don't get too tired out as we did a little bit this year with 21 races especially having that change of time as well going backwards an hour um for 11 o'clock starts i think you know we we should be fine um, i'm just glad that we don't have i haven't had to wake up at two o'clock in the morning um recently for a race start so yeah we'll be well rested for next year and speaking of next year let's go over some thoughts we have for next year of course it's already looking quite exciting with those mass changes up and down the grid, you know, for example, Daniel Ricciardo going over to Renault, Charles Leclerc to Ferrari, Pierre Gasly to Red Bull, Kimi Raikkonen to, to Sauber, and of course, Robert Kubitzer, I guess the, the feel-good story, him making his return, and with Williams too. Then we've got those F2 graduates coming in, which were the top three in F2 this year with George Russell, Lando Norris, and Alexander Albon. Um, Charles Leclerc putting pressure on Seb to deliver, I guess. That's going to be a, a big story. Pressure on Valtteri Bottas for 2020. Can he retain his seat? So a lot of things to look forward to for 2019, even though we we're still a few weeks away from the new year. Oh, it's been the most dynamic driver market in many years you could probably say 2012 and then you go back to the turn of the last decade the last time there was this much fluctuation it's always good to upset that established order and whether it works out for some or other ones it's a it's a miss it's always just that uncertain uncertainty where you do wonder what they might be capable of and just reinvigorate certain drivers there and stories of redemption. You can see that um, there's going to be narratives all through the next 12 months. It'll be fascinating to see how they do come off and really more pleasingly is that influx of not just the, the drivers changing camps but the ones coming in from the lower categories when we had such a a dearth of that really for a few years we've started to pick up the pace in the last year or so and and the ones who are deserving rather than being lost to the sport they're finally given an opportunity and you can see the way that mass has gone button's gone now alonso kimmy raikkonen remains but he looks like he's warranting it um, and enjoying himself so you hope with this next crop with the norris's russell's Albons that they come in and they really consolidate their place just like Charles Leclerc has immediately. And I guess there will be an eye too on the F2 championship as well next year with a certain Mick Schumacher set to make his debut, obviously having that solid year this year in the European F3 championship. And yeah, you know, being part of that F1 undercard now next year, of course, being in the same paddock and being in that environment, there's going to be a lot more exposure. And also, you know, there's already talk about whether the Ferrari Junior Academy will take him on or, you know, will there be a fight with the Mercedes camp if Mercedes-Benz want him? In before Red Bull nabs him. You know, I'm sure Red Bull will not get anywhere near him, um, given that his dad raced for Ferrari and for Mercedes, so those connections obviously there. So that's going to be exciting in itself, watching the F2 Championship next year to see how he fares. But um, going back to what the F1 grid will have, I guess Ricardo's arrival to Renault, I guess that was probably the shock, biggest shock of the year when we got heard that announced i guess it will put spotlight on renault and the progress that they've made because not to beat on nico hulkenberg but he's no race he's not a race winner or a podium, podium getter winner, <laughs> a podium getter yet either um so how will a genuine race winner a championship contender whatever you want to call ricardo actually fair in the Renault it's really going to expose where they are as far as their development is concerned and of course Red Bull with Honda as well you know can they be world beaters from the outset are they going to be more or less the same where they were at the end of this year with Renault or are they going to go backwards you think for both Ricardo and then for Honda and Red Bull it's probably going to be another 12 months before they're going to hit their stride and it's just about being patient again and it's more so about setting themselves up for the 
the future and you can see that toxicity certainly from Red Bull and Renault so they'll just be happy to start afresh and and Renault can carve its own identity without that baggage which has been floating really since the the glory days with Red Bull at the start of the decade so it's just making that fresh start more than anything and then all that synergy that comes in the new environment will hopefully follow shortly after yeah exactly and i guess it'll also benefit um mclaren as well as a as a byproduct given that they're they are really the only team that's got the Renault power now as far as being customers are concerned so you could see them working a lot more closer too without that baggage as you said that they were carrying with Red Bull earlier on so you know whether it um, is a benefit or a hindrance you know we won't see till we see um, any wheels turn next year with the pre-season testing of course we've already heard that Ferrari are going to debut their 2019 car on the 15th of February so we look forward to that, but um, yeah, you know, as far as 2018 is concerned, you know, it's still a memorable year. You know, we had some good racing. Kimi Raikkonen won a race, which I'm, I've just, I'm still in disbelief that it's finally happened. You know, I, I need to go back and watch Austin again to, to relive it because it, it almost seems like it, it didn't happen. But yeah, as far as the championship is concerned, the right driver, the right team won in the end, and um, you know, we just look forward to what is going to happen next year and whether um, someone else can step up or can Sebastian Vettel finally pull it off? Not for what it is, 2019, uh, out of Hamilton and Vettel, they've both won four titles this decade, so you could make a case that whoever claims 2019 owns the decade overall, and it's hard to believe when you look at what Vettel achieved. It feels like such a long time ago, but you still have to respect what he did pull off um 2010 through to 2013 so 2019 probably does shape up as his last opportunity to to get the job done before Charles Leclerc becomes the the one who really uh, is the future alongside you'd say Max Verstappen and for now Lewis Hamilton he's earned the right to to be exceeded as that number one until further notice yeah until further notice who knows when that's going to be but yeah as far as f1's concerned in 2018 um that about wraps it up so thank you very much for tuning in next time we'll do a little um review of the year in other motorsports we'll talk supercars moto gp we've been talking a lot about footy this year too so let's put some footy and also some cricket in there too but until then thanks for tuning in for our f1 content this year we'll be back next year as always with pre-season testing and the build-up and um yeah the australian grand prix our first race of the season around the corner so we look forward to that so thank you on behalf of myself and baden um thanks for tuning in and we'll see you guys next year for f1 thanks till then